Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. That can be found on page 822 of your church Bible. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Jesus Christ. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we've heard your word, that we've accepted it, and that you speak to us through it. I pray, Lord, as we gather this morning on this rainy day, that we'll we'll, we'll come with hearts and ears and minds that are open to receive it, hearts that will uh, respond to it, and hearts that will uh, consider how we can live it out in our lives. I do pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. I'll ask you guys a question first up. Who here likes Big Macs? Do you guys? We've got about five, six people. Who here likes Big Macs enough to eat it every day for 50 years? I'm going to show you a picture of a guy who has done that. His name is Don Gorski. All right. Now, I came across this video uh, on my Facebook, YouTube. Uh, he lives in the U.S., He is the Guinness World Records for most eaten Big Macs. At the time of the video, he had eaten 32,340 Big Macs in his lifetime. He started all the way back in 1972. And since then, on average, two Big Macs a day. And in this YouTube video, he says this. It's it's quite insightful. Uh, The Big Mac is the best sandwich in the world. The main reason I stayed with this pursuit for so many years is that Big Macs are still my favorite food, and I look forward to eating them every day. In this screenshot, he's he's talking about he's excitedly talking about what the Big Mac consists of, right? Sesame seed on on top bun, first patty, pickles, lettuce, special sauce. Then you got this middle bun, second patty, slice of cheese, more lettuce, special sauce, and then you got the bottom bun. He takes a bite out of the sandwich and he says, "Delicious!" with his big smile on his face, the best sandwich in the world. It's impressive. Uh, for 50 years, he stuck with his passion for Big Macs every day. I can't imagine it. I mean, you get to a point, right, where you get, just get sick of the food. It loses its taste. The excitement fades. It feels more like pain rather than joy to take another bite. But Don Gorski says he looks forward to eating it every day. He can persevere with the same taste, the same burger, the same food each day because he believes so much. There's deep conviction that this is the best sandwich in the world. It fuels him. It excites him. He looks forward to it. It keeps him going in life. 50 years of eating it to the point of breaking a world record. Now, as trivial as that might sound, I wonder what keeps us going in life, right? Many of us have our convictions, the things we find joy in. We, we have our daily routines, the things that our life revolves around, whether it's love, family, finances, career, goals, Big Macs. But I want us today to consider, for us as Christians, okay, we are the church, what should fuel us? 
What encourages us to keep us going in our faith as Christians? And this is a great part. There's only three verses here in, in 1 Thessalonians, but I want us to see how the Christian faith begins with and it continues with and perseveres with and holds out the word of God. It is our daily bread. It is our daily burger that fuels us and allows us to keep going, enduring and persevering. This passage in Thessalonians shows us how it's heard, it's received, it's accepted, and empowers us, empowers the Thessalonian church and empowers us as well. We're going to see them as a model for us of what conviction and perseverance looks like because of their belief that the Word of God is the best sandwich in the world. So far in this letter, we've seen Paul talk to this church. He's the author, uh, the Apostle of Jesus, and he shares how he's so thankful to God for this church. Since he's left this city, they've really flourished in their faith. How, they, they, how, how since he's left, um, uh, they've turned away from worshipping idols to worshipping the one and true God. How they've committed themselves to Jesus. And he continues with that thanksgiving now in chapter 2. So let's read it again, verse 13. I'll just read this verse. It says this, We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed our work in you who believe. And just notice, he continually is thankful to God for them as he reflects on how the word of God has been heard and received by them. Now, I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, but for something to be heard and received, it needs to be spoken, right? It needs to be spoken. And remember how they came to know Jesus. Uh, I said in the first sermon, I think it was back in Acts chapter 17, that's the context for how Paul came to this city. He came to the city, Thessalonica, and what did he do? Each Sabbath, he went to the synagogues. That's the, like a Jewish church place. And for three weeks, for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with the people there from the scriptures about the gospel of Jesus. He spoke words. He declared the gospel. He proclaimed the faith. Now, I don't know about us, but it might be the postmodern world that we live in, but sometimes we think we can get away with just living the Christian life without actually having to tell anyone about it, without having to use words. We don't have to talk about it. Maybe it's just, yeah, maybe it's a culture around us, but some of us, we just think, let's just do good deeds here and there. People will see it. They'll see our good works. They'll be so struck by it, and then they'll become Christians. It doesn't work that way, though, does it? You could wear a badge, maybe. You could wear a Jesus t-shirt. Maybe you could act it out. Uh, a few years, well, a long time ago now, back in my early 20s, I used to be involved in short-term mission work, right? And so I used to uh, go to this little town in Taiwan where Roy is from, actually, one of our members. And I used to go to this little town with a, a, a small group, a mission team. And we used to, because uh, my Mandarin isn't very good, my Chinese isn't very good, what we'd do is these skits, these dramas, we'd act out the gospel. Right? In, in, our, in our own interpretive way. So I would uh, put on this crown and I'd be God. I'd, be, I'd play the role of Jesus because no one else wanted to do it. And I'd, I'd be doing things like, you know, this is a, that's a tree and, and these are birds. And, and I'd, I'd come into the world, you know, and I'm God entering the world. And I'd act out all this stuff. And, I, and I, I'm in my 30s now. I'm, they're on YouTube, but I don't want to tell you where to find them. <laughs> and I'm watching these videos. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? Like, what am I doing? And if you were a bystander watching these, these, these amateur actors uh, acting, you'd be thinking that, what are they doing? And what are they acting? What, and we perform these skits, right? And we think, we're, oh, we're, we're communicating the gospel through this acting. But we needed someone every time to share about what we were doing. Every time we needed someone in the native tongue, in Mandarin, to bring the message across in a way that was understood and heard. Yeah, we could act out the gospel 
we could do charades, but we, it only, only really communicates so much, right? Words communicate truths that can't be said by actions alone. And isn't it comforting, like, for anyone? Like, you go to another country, you go to a foreign country where you can't speak language, to have someone who can, who can speak your language and can help you with directions, say you're lost. Uh, say you go uh, skydiving, and the instructor is trying to communicate to you with actions. You'd be a bit worried, wouldn't you? You'd want to communicate with words. Worried about, you know, in the same way, for the gospel to be communicated, we need to use words. That's what Paul does, doesn't he? With the Thessalonians, he uses words to communicate. Uh, it's other places of the Bible. Romans 10, I've got this on the screen. It says, how then can they call on someone, uh, call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's Romans 10, 14. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's words involved with the gospel. We need to use words so people can hear and receive the gospel. This is what Paul did. But it's tempting, isn't it, to not speak about Jesus? It is tempting. And just hope that people know that I'm a Christian. And maybe at some point we're taught it in our Christian faith that our actions are enough. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Christians use this line, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, it's, it's, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He's the founder of the Franciscan monks. Um, preach it, and if necessary, use words. Preach it through your actions. Now, that's not quite correct, is it? Uh, it the, the truth is he never actually said that. It just got attributed to him. Uh, it's just something that was made up and sounded catchy, but it's actually unhelpful. Preach it, and if necessary, use words. What you're doing is you're creating this dichotomy between speech and actions, which the Bible doesn't actually do. The Bible says preach it, live it out as well. Both are important. But maybe it's our culture. In our postmodern world we live in, people don't want to hear about truths. They just want to get along. You have your truth, I have mine. And it leaves us as Christians. And it's sort of a place of fear, a place of anxiety, because we're afraid that by speaking it, we'll be rejected. Speaking it, will be dismissed, or at worst, face hostility and aggression. But again, words are so essential in communication, isn't it? Even, so, even more so for the message of the life that we have in Jesus to be shared. If we are holding onto this life-giving, joy-filled, hope-saturated truth, why would we not want to share it with others? For example, here's some good news I want to share with you guys. Public service announcements right now. I love hot chips. You guys know that, right? On Monday at midday on the KFC app, you can redeem a large hot chips for 50 cents. Just FYI, if you want to get on KFC, lunch sorted, you're welcome. That's good news, right? Yeah, good news worth sharing. Hot chips for 50 cents from KFC. You know, I could have kept that to myself. I didn't, I didn't have to tell you that. I could have kept all the joy to myself. That's good news, right? But here's better news. God loves you so much that his son Jesus died for you. That he rose three days later so that sin and death has been defeated. Wow, we've been saved. Hallelujah. That's better news. That news I want to tell you about. Stuff I get excited about. Doesn't that excite you? Yeah, I get excited about KFC, but you know, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is life. You've been at, if you've been at Providence long enough, you know we take sharing the word quite seriously. We want to equip our church on how to share about Jesus. It's called evangelism, proclaiming the good news. Evangelism, because we believe that's one way in which we can love our world, to bring the message of love, the love of Jesus in a world that is broken 
and seeking after the only things that God can truly offer. Friends, we have to remember the role of speaking and preaching and sharing the good news. Because that's how Paul is thankful. Because the word he has shared has been heard and received. All right? And that's the next part I want to read to us. You accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. What is a human word? He says, you accept it not as a human word. What is a human word? A word that speaks perhaps from logic. You know, you're arguing, you're making, a, uh, you're making an uh, argument, a debate. Uh, perhaps experience, even feeling. You might speak from feelings, experience. We get a lot of that, don't we, in our world? Go on, get on social media, everyone thinks they're a life coach these days. Everyone thinks they're an influencer. They share words, one-liners that sound good. They feel good. It gets retweeted millions of times, so people read it and think, oh, it must be a good word. It becomes the words that we put on our motivational posters on our walls, the wallpaper on our screen. But a human word is just that, isn't it? A word from a finite, limited human. Understandably, there are words from that others that do hold weight. Right? Uh, the successful, the wise, the talented, the experienced. We seek after words of those who have gone before us. Our professors, our parents, our personal trainers, our peers. Their words hold weight if we're seeking after wisdom from them. And that's what we do, right? But do we go after them? Uh, when we go to them, we're, we're looking for something specific, usually. But what about words that can offer us life? Words that give us hope? Words that can empower us? Words that give us salvation? The self-help gurus do it well, I admit. They, 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 they tell you to take a look inside yourself, listen to your heart, conquer your demons, manifest it, whatever. You can be whoever you want to be. They're words that offer us a sort of life and salvation. And while it may be helpful for some to some extent, aren't they still just human words? Will they answer our deepest needs? We have to admit it at times, don't we? That sometimes the words of others do sometimes fail us. Sometimes it comes with a hidden agenda. Sometimes they look like promises that are broken. Of course, we want to hear words that we're loved and accepted and free, but what if those words are just empty words? What if they have no real backing or substance but just sound good and feel good? So we think, therefore, they must be good. We want reliable and dependable words, don't we? Words of assurance. We put our trust in the words of others. If you have bad back problems, you go talk to Jeff, who's a physio. He's going to give you a word, a tip on how to have better posture. <laughs> if you want tips on music, you're going to go talk to Serena. She's a music teacher. It makes sense. We want a word that's dependable and reliable. But when it comes to words that offer us life, Peace, security, more often than not, a human word is powerless. But what if there was a word that was given to us that wouldn't fail us? That was from someone even greater whose promises are dependable and reliable, give us, can give us real security and salvation. Paul says this to the church, you didn't take my words merely as the words of some motivational speaker. In ancient Greece, right, you're thinking about the philosophers during that time, those who were just you know, debating logic, logical, all that stuff, like how to live. But Paul says, you didn't hear me out like I was just some mere philosopher, some random person that, that came along and tried to persuade you to join this new cult called Christianity. No, the people heard the words of Paul as a messenger, yes, but the words to be the words of God. The message that was delivered was the word of God, the message of the gospel, the message that our nature is sinful, that means we've all got a broken relationship with God. We've been rejected and disconnected from God because of our sin. We can't save ourselves. We need someone to rescue us. And God, in His love and mercy, sent His one and only Son to die on a cross to save you and to save me. That's the message. 
to be raised on the third day, so whoever has faith in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christianity, Christianity tells us that we are saved, not because we've done a list of good works, but we have a God who has saved us by his grace. That's the word of God. That's what the Thessalonians heard. They received it and accepted it. The message we proclaim is the good news that we too want others to hear, receive, and accept. But let's take a moment to consider how acceptance even comes about. Because acceptance isn't just a shallow yes, I believe, is it? It's not merely lip service either. Consider the flip side. If I was, uh, uh, if uh, for many, they'll hear this message, right? When we share the message of the gospel with people, they'll hear it often, though, as to them, merely human words. Don't they? It'll be heard, yes, but it won't be received. It won't be accepted. Let's not be naive, right? The world around us sees us, labels Christians as brainwashed bigots who have a message that is not really one about love, but one about hate or intolerance in our society. That's what the world thinks some do. They won't hear the message of Jesus and salvation as the word of God. Our words are merely just human words to them. No matter how persuasive, how kind you might be, there's something else that's at work. You know, it wasn't any different for Paul's context as well. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this to the church. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The people in the city of Thessalonica had Jewish people and they had Greeks. And while they wanted signs for the Messiah to come and Greeks wanted to pursue wisdom, the message of God that Jesus, the Messiah, has come to save us, only those God has called, Jews and Greeks, those who have received and accepted, will see the truth of who Jesus is. It's a message for all, but to accept a message of suffering, a Messiah who dies on a cross, that's the power of God at work in the heart of the church. And that's where conviction and joy in Jesus begins. You see, the truth is, what I'm trying to say is how the Thessalonians and how you are here at Providence and how I'm a Christian too, how you heard the word, received the word, and accepted the word in your lives is nothing short of a miracle. It's divine. It's God at work in you. They're words that come with power and conviction, but with the Spirit of God that speaks to our hearts. Only God can change our hard hearts. The Bible refers to them as, as hearts of stone, Spiritual hearts are so only God can change them to be soft and alive and able to receive the message. We were once all blind to God. We we're all unable to truly hear these words and receive the word of God. We need God to work in us so that we'll hear, receive, and accept. If you go back to the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, the letter uh, in chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, I think I have it on the screen as well. It says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed, and that word welcome is accepted, accepted the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. God chose and they accepted. Chapter 2, verse 11, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. This was last week. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. They, like us, received the word and accepted it because God was the one who chose them. Called them is at work in their hearts. And that's how this verse in uh, verse 13 finishes. Paul says, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, 
which is indeed at work in you who believe. How is the gospel message at work? We've already heard about it a couple of weeks ago. Paul has acknowledged this change in their life. If I were to ask you how you changed since you heard, received in the gospel, I'm hoping you're able to recognize and reflect how God's been at work. You, you might be able to recognize that you've learned about forgiveness in Jesus until you're able to say, I'm a much more forgiving person because I can see how much I've been forgiven in Jesus. Or you can acknowledge I'm more generous with my money more than I was before. I realized how greedy I was. Now I'm so generous because I know the generous God who has been so generous to me in giving me Jesus and everything I need is in him. Or you, you might be able to say that I'm, I'm more content with life because the more I learn about the words of God, I've understood and experienced the greater satisfaction, the greater contentment that only Jesus alone can bring. And you know, whatever it is that you can reflect on and see your life, that's, that's, that's what we call spiritual fruit, the fruit of, of, uh, of the Spirit, fruit produced from the seed of the gospel that's been sown, a heart that's changed, and a heart that has heard, received, and accepted the Word of God that is at work in you. But Paul also identifies this other evidence in their life, doesn't he? Verse 14, let's read. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God, churches in Judea, God's, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. How does he know that the word is at work in them? Because they are living out their faith. In the same way, other churches, even in the face of suffering and persecution, they're living out their faith. Paul speaks about how it's been at the hands of their own people, the Jews. The Jews who killed their Lord Jesus and have been actively trying to stop the Christian movement happening. A lot has been written about these verses. People say, oh, is Paul Paul really anti-Semitic here? Like he hates Jews or something? But let's remember, let's remember the context. Jesus himself was Jewish. Paul himself was Jewish who persecuted Christians at one point in his life. The whole early church began amongst the Jews. Paul's not saying that he hates Jewish people here. They're his own people. And he went to the towns. Who did he go to first? He went to the synagogues to preach to Jews. He wants to see Jews come to faith. But he's speaking of what happened, the truth. The Jews didn't want to see people worship Jesus. They didn't want to see people worship Jesus as if he was God. There's only one God, Yahweh, right? To them, it was blasphemy. It was an abomination. They wanted to squash this movement, and to do that, they instigated riots and violence to stop Christians spreading the news about who Jesus was, the risen Lord and Messiah. Yet Paul wants the Thessalonian church to understand. The point is that their deep conviction that allows them to stand firm, even in the face of persecution and suffering, is a sign. It's evidence of a heart that's been changed, a heart that stands firm, that has heard, received, and accepted the Word of God in their lives. You see, the way they suffer for living and speaking the Word of God, well, isn't that what it looks like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus himself, the crucified Savior, who suffered too at the hands of his own people? You see, when we say we're Christians, we're not just saying we believe in Jesus. We're saying we're, we do say that. We're saying also that we're a people who follow the Son of God who died on a cross for us. And the same one who says to us, take up your cross daily and follow me. To say we're Christian is to know that there will be hardships. There will be sufferings. People will reject it and call you foolish and even be hostile against you. Friends, that's, 
That's what we sign up for when we receive and accept the word. Hopefully you knew that before you subscribed, right? Jesus, his apostles, his followers, the early church all suffered for their faith. What makes us an exception? Let me ask you, is this how you've seen God at work in your life too? I don't know what kind of and what form of suffering that might look like for you, but even simply having friends and family who think what you believe in is nonsense, having mocked you for it, have you still sensed that deep conviction that God gives you courage to stand firm? A courage that only comes from His Word? It's, it's worth reflecting on, isn't it? As you consider perseverance and endurance in your life, how has receiving and accepting the gospel changed you? What has your experiences been? How has your life impacted by that ongoing day by day? Your whole perspective on life has changed to some extent, hasn't it? You have a hope that's different to your friends around you, right? You no longer live for things that are perhaps fading and temporary and unfulfilling. In Christ, you see the world and your life as it should be. And by the gospel, the word of God, it offers you courage. It gives you strength and gives you conviction, even in the face of those who might oppose us, even in the face of suffering. There's something you can still hold on to. That's how God is at work. There are some here today who, who might not yet have accepted the Word of God. You, you're still sussing out Jesus. You're still sussing out the gospel. And there are many words around you that seem just as persuading. What makes the Word of God worth receiving, though? Well, let me tell you, the Word of God is a message that's about grace, a message about love for undeserving people like you and I. You're not going to find another word that will tell you that the king of the universe, the creator God, would love you enough to enter our world and die as a substitute for our failings and for our sin. This God freely offers that to you. He invites you to embrace his grace, to receive it and accept it, and to take hold of the life of, of the salvation that our souls are desperately seeking. That's for you. You're not going to find another word like that in this world. For others here today, though, as Christians, is the word of God that you've accepted, is it what fuels you? Is it what encourages you to persevere? Will it be your daily bread, what you feed from, so you can be sustained each day to endure and stand firm in your faith? Does it bring you joy? I was just talking to one of our members this morning over a coffee, and she was telling me how she spent time away from the word of God, and she felt really low. And when she came back to it, all of a sudden, she just found contentment again in her life. Because God did that for her. God, the Word of God encouraged her. She had received it and she's accepting it and she comes back to it daily to know that that's where she's going to find endurance and perseverance. Do you love the Word of God? Is it what centers and grounds you in life and what you keep coming back to day by day? And if so, will you be bold with this message? Is it a word that you want others to hear and receive too? I understand many of us here don't feel that confident sometimes. Some of us are fearful even. Some of us don't want to be seen differently by our peers. Like, it's easier just not to say anything about Jesus or at least give them a watered-down version. Yeah, I go to church. God loves you. You're all sweet, you know? You could do that. Live your life, just sort of, you know, fly under the radar. Hope that doing good deeds and charades will be enough. But let me encourage you and challenge you. Don Gorski, at least, you know, this, he spent 50 years eating a Big Mac every day because he believed it's the best sandwich in the world, and he's unafraid of telling people what he believes. He's become an evangelist. If you're deeply convicted that the Lord Jesus has saved you, that in his selflessness and sacrifice has secured everything for you, will you be an evangelist for Jesus? What are you afraid of? 
when it comes to sharing with others. If you believe it to the be the best news ever, is it something you're going to proclaim? I'm not saying go look for suffering. Right? I'm not saying go and look for someone to punch you in the face. No, but to stand for what you believe. To be unashamed of being a Christian. Uh, let me prepare you now. At times you will get dismissed, 100%. You might get rejected. So was Jesus. So was Paul. So, was, so has many Christians across history. But you might also find when the opportunity arises through rapport, perhaps, through friendship, through the context of respect, you might be able to share the gospel and why it's good news for you and for them. Perhaps you might be able to share your story of how you became a Christian and, and, and why you love Jesus, and those seeds will be sown. We don't know whether it'll produce fruit. Only God does. Only, only, only God knows who are His. Only God knows who He calls. But will we sow the seeds? And will we do that prayerfully? asking God to change hearts. But will we do what we are called to do, faithfully, bring the message of life, hope and truth to those who are seeking signs, to those who are looking for wisdom in our culture and context? Not only does God call us to do this as his people, but, but maybe you'll get that immense privilege, that joy to see and witness God at work through his word, where there'll be some who do receive it and accept it, and their lives are transformed for Christ. And like Paul, you'll be thankful to God. Man, what a privilege I'll be. Yeah, and I say this with joy and thanksgiving too. It's been such a privilege for me in this church to see people here who have heard it, received it, and, can, and I can confidently say that God is at work in your life through His Word. I get to hear about lives changed. I get to hear about repentance of sin and obedience to Jesus. So do you. Just talk to the person next to you. Ask how God has been at work and what a privilege that's been to be part of this church family. But I won't lie either, right? It's not easy. It hasn't been easy. Well, we're going to our eighth year next year as a church, as a church family. In sharing the word with our friends, I know many of us have faced opposition and hostility. Many of us have, have had broken relationships. I've had friends who've come to this church and now I don't even talk to them because they got offended by something that was said. Because we were preaching the gospel here. To build a church, we, we have to be brave. We have to be willing to take risks. But just look around. Isn't this the fruit of God at work through his word? God did this. We were just the messengers through the way we spoke and the way we loved. Let's keep running the race. Let's keep running to the Word of God to fuel us, to comfort us, to give us our daily sustenance, but to also help us persevere together in proclaiming the gospel so that more and more around us, loved ones, colleagues, peers, our neighbors can hear, receive, and accept the truth, the hope, the freedom, and love that we have in our Lord Jesus for their good and for God's glory. Let's pray for that now. Father, we thank you that you have called us. You've called us into your family, into your kingdom, that we've heard your word, that we've received it, and that we accepted it. And pray, Lord, that your spirit will be at work with power and conviction to help us live lives that are centered on it, centered on the word of God that, 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 that shapes how we live and shapes our decisions and shapes our actions and shapes our speech as well. 
I pray, Lord, that the Word of God will be centered in our lives. But, Lord, as we do that, may we be also uh, courageous to go out and, and boldly proclaim it to others. Help us to bring the best news ever to those around us who are looking for, who's look, who are looking for, for words of salvation, words of life, words of meaning, words of truth, words of hope. Help us, Lord, to offer that to them through the Word of God. Help us to be uh, faithful to it. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be bold, Lord, by your Spirit. And pray for those in the room, Lord, who are still sussing it out, seeking out Christ, seeking out where life is to be found. I pray, Lord, that, they will, that your, you will be at work in their lives, Lord, that you will soften their hearts to hear this message and to receive it and to accept it. I pray, Lord, that, that lives will be changed today. Lives will be changed through the reading of your word, through, through receiving it, and Lord, that, that many more will come to know you as well. I pray for this in your son's name. Amen.